Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Good morning. Welcome to our studios here at Fall River Community Media at Bristol Community College. My name is Keith Tebow. I'm the director of Fall River Community Media. I'm joined by Beth Perdue from the Standard Times. Beth, welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And we're here today working with the uh, Standard Times, the Herald News, and the Taunton Gazette for what we think is a very important discussion, uh, the discussion of bullying within our region and our communities. Uh, bullying, of course, is a very serious issue within our schools and within our society. And uh, the newspapers have come up with uh, this opportunity today to start a discussion about bullying and some of the ways that we can combat it within our communities. We are joined today by four individuals as our panel, our expert panel uh, today. Joining us from our left to my left to right, first is Anne-Marie uh, Matula, she's the director of the Bristol County Regional Coalition for Suicide Prevention. Next to Anne-Marie is Sergeant Sam Ortega. He's the training lead and outreach coordinator at the New Bedford Police Department. Next to uh, Sergeant Ortega is Michaela Gagney-Hetzler. She's the school adjustment counselor for Diamond Regional Vocational Technical High School. And to the left of Michaela is Claire Spaulding McVicker. She's the executive director of the Katie Brown Educational Program. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. Beth? Um, thank you, Keith, and thanks for having us here and helping us get this information out. Um, I've spoken to all of you, but really just want to give you an opportunity. You all touch on bullying in different ways, right? And one of the things I heard most from you is that there are different forms, different kinds, uh, different ways of looking at it. So maybe we could go uh, one by one and give you a chance to say who you are, what work you do, and how your work addresses bullying. And since you started that way, we'll start with you, Anne-Marie. Of course. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, Anne-Marie Matulis. I'm the Regional Director for Suicide Prevention in Bristol County. We have 10 regional coalitions across the Commonwealth, and we work under the Department of Public Health. So my approach is a public health approach. I've been in public health for 35 years. Um, the work that I do uh, is, in relation to bullying, is the bullying and suicide aspect of it so that um, in the course of the discussion we can talk a little bit more about how that fits in yeah. um, but in general my work involves education training developing curriculum um, producing films um, have a have a TCAM have a cable access show in the greater Taunton area but it's covering 500,000 people 20 cities and towns wow. I also work across the state for the Department of Public Health for um, the Youth Suicide Prevention Grant, Garrett Lee Smith, and for Problem Gambling and Suicide. And when we're talking about the bullying, the most important piece for me is not is equally important as helping our kids, is helping the impacted families. So I chair a committee for the American Association of Suicidology nationally that deals with making sure that those impacted families are taking care of themselves too. Mm. Nice. Great, thank you. Sergeant? Um, Sam Ortega, I've been on the department for uh, 20 years. Um, right now, currently, I'm in charge of the diversion program, trying to keep people out of court. Um, the community outreach team is I chair, and um, looking at drug overdoses, post-overdoses visits, I, I manage that for the department right now. Um, prior to this, this uh, assignment that I have now, I worked as a school resource officer supervisor. Um, New Bedford has nine officers in schools, and um, uh, very active community. Great, thanks. So, um, Michaela Hetzler, I am over at Diamond Regional as an adjustment counselor and licensed mental health counselor. So as you can imagine, working in the schools, I deal a lot with the social emotional uh, side of bullying. Previously, I was at Durfee High School um, in the same position where I also did a lot of the investigative work behind bullying. And I also chair uh, several, uh, several committees in the, the community, um, including the Fallover uh, Suicide Prevention Coalition, the uh, Fallover Youth Empowerment Task Force, and the, um, the Fallover uh, Youth Violence Prevention Initiative. So we do a lot of discussions on bullying there as well. Great, and we'll come back to that because I know Fall River did an interesting response to bullying. We did. Right. <laughs> 
Great. Um, my name is Claire Spalding McVicker, and I'm from the Katie Brown Educational Program. Um, the Katie Brown Educ Educational Program was founded in 2001, and with the mission to prevent violence from happening. Um, so we have created a curriculum in-house that we deliver to local schools. Um, it's a five-session, age-appropriate curriculum that talks about uh, peer violence and dating violence, and um, it's all age-appropriate. So you know we have different conversations in fourth grade than we do in 11th grade um, but the, our mission is is really just to educate young people to get information out there and give young people resources and skills to navigate healthier relationships so that's pretty much the core of our program um, since in, in recent years we've actually developed um, a professional development program as well which has been taking off and we've been doing a lot of work in the community with educators and youth service providers um, and uh, medical professionals and educating them around um, violence and the different types of violence and, and making sure that everybody has that same basic um, information and education and and even more recently we've been doing a lot of parent workshops um, in the community um, most mostly at schools where we already have a relationship where we're doing a lot of our youth programming um, we usually go in and we'll run a parent workshop just to give parents information before the program so they know what our program is about how we'll be addressing um, such sensitive topics like violence um, with their children and you know, just answering any questions that they have and helping them to make sure that they have resources and information that they can tap into to get more information Great, thank, you. thank you one note as we continue, this is uh, interactive, not only between us and our panelists, but also you watching. If you're watching our stream live or even watching the video after the fact, please add your comments on the Facebook page that you're watching this program. Um, add some questions, add some comments. It'll all be taken into account as the news organizations continue to work on this developing story as we go forward. So that's important to note. As you're watching this, a question comes up or a comment, please comment on the uh, Facebook page on which you're uh, watching this feed. So Thank that, you for saying that. Um, so maybe one of the things, I've spoken to most of you already about this topic, and one of the things that really struck me is that people define bullying differently, and there seems to be a lot of different definitions of it. And I thought maybe we could start by giving our viewers some background on bullying. How do each of you define bullying? Um, and could you address the issue? Does everyone define it in the same way? Is it well understood? Do you want to switch sides? And Let's sure. start with Claire this time. Sure. <laughs> um, so I agree. I feel like bullying is this buzzword that we hear a lot about. And I think there's a lot of different um, ideas of what people believe bullying is. Um, at Katie Brown, we always refer to it as peer violence because essentially that is what bullying is. It is. Um, it is any type of violence. So that includes physical, verbal, emotional, sexual, financial violence that causes hurt and or fear. So um, that's pretty much how we sum it up. That's how we talk about it when we're in the classroom with young people um, and getting them to identify uh, all the different types. And um, at, at the core of it, it, it's about hurting and it's about causing fear mm. um, for the purpose of gaining more power and more control over the other person. Great. Uh, I think it's a great question, Beth. I think um, that a lot of the work we do in schools sometimes is trying to define what bullying is and what it isn't. And it's not to say that there's certain conflicts that aren't bad, they just might not be in this bullying category that we have to use as a school. So we have four criteria we actually have to meet in order to technically define it as bullying. It has to be intentional, it has to be repetitive, it has to have um, an impact on the person and it has to include a power imbalance. Um, so I think sometimes people get frustrated um, where we might say it's not a bullying situation, but that's strictly based on a definition. That's not to say that something wrong might not have happened that deserves right. its consequences. Um, so because oftentimes, you know, sometimes conflicts will come up and as we know at any age, children, adults, the conflicts come up but that doesn't necessarily make it, make it bullying. So we try to get to the core of it, figure out what it is in terms of the definition. And just before we move on, can you talk a little bit about the power relationship? Because if, if they are peers, how do you define power? You know, it's really unique to each situation in terms of a power imbalance. I mean, some people might view that as size, as popularity, okay. as age. Yep. Um, so, you know, that one can be a little bit objective um, in terms of, I mean, subjective, I'm sorry, in terms of how, it, how it's looked at. Um, but again, all four criteria have to come into play in order for, for that to be defined as bullying from a school standpoint. Okay. Um, on the law enforcement side, 
There is no law bullying, like you wouldn't charge anybody that. Um, we have criminal harassment. So okay. to me, I see bullying as the precursor, the boiling just before you get to that level where it's criminal behavior. Right. Um, and a lot of the elements are same to what they're, they're, they're speaking to already. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Thank you. I come from a different perspective, although I agree with everybody. Um, and, I, and I know the definition does seem to be wavering in and out. And I think that's what parents mostly find very confusing when they're listening to their child. Um, well, was that bullying or was that not bullying? And as you heard, it, within a school, there's four points that have to be touched. Within the law, there's another criteria. Coming from the perspective of how bullying ends up tangled up with suicide behavior, um, we look at it from the perspective, um, and I believe the definition came from CDC. Don't hold me to that. They'll get back to me first thing this afternoon. Um, but it, it is the repetitive um, aggressive behavior that has a clear social and emotional impact on another individual. But it has to be repetitive. And the example when I'm talking with parents a lot is, I'm not saying it's good behavior, but if, if your son got shoved in the lunch line, that's not bullying, that's just bad behavior. Not acceptable, right. but still bad behavior. <sighs> it has to be something that becomes insidious in the way it permeates because now we step from bullying to cyberbullying so that when a child goes home and they're out uh, off the school bus where it may be happening or in the lunchroom where it is the majority of the place that it happens often um, now they don't even have privacy in their own home because they boot up and there it is um, so it, it it is it's it's a very uh, we look at it as a very mean-spirited um, aggressive behavior, but it has to be, I agree with everybody else, it has to be repetitive. Um, and then there's a whole setup of then how does a child go from being bullied into suicidality, but that's another question. Mm. Can we stick with the cyberbullying for a second? Because, um, so we did a survey with folks and we're hoping for more questions and we got a handful of responses, mm -hmm. but one of the questions that we asked about was social media. And 100% they said no, it did not have to, it was person on person, it was not online or cyberbullying, but yet you hear about that so much. Is it possible parents don't know? I mean, how do you, how do you guys interpret it when parents are saying, yes, I'm seeing bullying, but I'm not seeing it on social media? I can say from the school side of things, cyberbullying is a very real issue and it's brought into the schools a lot, which then, you know, brings us into it. But I think that kids, um, in terms of social skills uh, today, a lot of their socializing is, is done through social media. And there's a different amount of courage sometimes that comes when we can we don't have to say something to somebody's face and we can kind of put it out there. And um, it's true, like Anne-Marie said, you, you can't escape it. You can't just go, ho you know, go home for the summer and, and kind of get away from it for a while. A colleague of mine put it best. She said, you know, when we were young, um, someone could walk out of a bathroom with their dress and their underwear and everyone would have a good laugh and maybe it gets brought up here and there. But now someone's taking a video of it a picture of it you become a meme and every so often someone will just kind of replay it and put it out there and that's like it, it's just it's the things that are being said are just so everlasting now and, and that's really hard to escape from but it, it's a it's a really real issue it, it truly is yeah I was just going to follow up and, and I want to listen here that the other panelists on this but um, you bring up a good point Michaela where um, not only is the online social media bullying uh, geared toward the individual being bullied, but their collective friends, mm -hmm. right? And that's how it friends, <laughs> friends, <laughs> and that's how it that's how it balloons and that's how it spreads a lot quicker than, hey, did you hear that so and so did this to someone? Right. You know, there's, years gone by. There's wars going on be ki between kids who have never actually met each other or seen each other. Right. Maybe they live in the same community, maybe not. Right. But there's bullying going on right. there. Kids who don't even actually have never met each other face to right. face. Right. <laughs> Uh, if anyone else wants to comment on that, um, I never did like any st statistics or anything, but oh, I would, you know, off the top of my head, I would say over 90% of the cases I investigated involved social media. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I would just echo what, what Michaela said that it is very real and it is happening at alarming rates. Um, coming from a program that works directly with youth, we're told every single day when we're in the classroom that they've experienced it or they know that it's happening or they've been part of being included on whether it's a text message or it's through social media, they've seen it. Um, I think as parents, the really scary thing is that 
young people are not going to parents and letting them know that this is happening. You know, and the, and the young people that we work with, when we ask them, like, who would you go to? Or who would you tell? Or who do you let know that this is happening? And hands down, um, all of pretty much all of them are going to report that they're going to go to their friends first. You know, there there are probably some young people who eventually will go to parents or some other adult that they trust, um, but the majority of students first are going to talk to their friends and talk to their peers about it. Yeah, but I would think that would be no different. Even when I was young, something would impact me. I didn't want to <laughs> share it with my parents for whatever reason of being looked at differently. So I mm -hmm. would go to friends as well. So that sure. seems like it's been an issue that's yeah. sort of been long-standing in some ways. The scary thing about the cyberbullying is that that is a little bit more hidden. You know, a lot of times when there's traditional schoolyard bullying and it's yep. physical, there might be, you know, pulled clothes right. or there might be yep. a bruise or a scrape or something that lets parents know that something is off or something must be happening. Mm. Um, mm. But the, the whole cyber violence and the use of technology to perpetrate violence and social media and, and text messaging makes it more hidden. Um, and I think what's scary as parents is that this could be going on for months or even years and parents, no matter how hard we try to keep those lines of communication open and we think we have an open and honest and um, or relationship, um, young people just, they're not going to go to their parents first and it can be harder to spot that. And, and that addresses your question, Beth, that, well, how did the parents not know? We've done an awful lot of research um, across the board and the studies have come out, um, one of the recent ones came out a couple of months ago that less than 20% of parents knew that their kids had been bullied. Mm. Um, it goes down to the teen dating violence research mm. that goes on, that 73% 73, 73 of, the, of the teens had had some kind of violent impact during dating, as young as 12 or 13. 30% of the parents thought it was an issue. So it is. It, it happened when 13 Reasons came out, 13 Reasons Why came out, and, and parents were saying, well, my kid hasn't watched that. Hmm. <laughs> and I said, yes, they did, mm -hmm. and you didn't know it, and yeah. you didn't know it. The silence, uh, we constantly talk about it. Talk saves lives, silence kills. Mm -hmm. I also wonder, with regards to the cyberbullying, if kids don't recognize the fact that social media is so much bigger than their parents. You know, so do we get, you know, a name on social media blocked, or does it, they come up with another account, they, they yep. do it anonymously. Um, they get that, they understand that, their parents can't necessarily stop that. So I think they, they get it. They know that the mom and dad can't just come in and talk to the other parents and make it stop. Mm. I also wondered if kids are so now they're they live in that world, right? It's so natural for them. Is there do they just think it's normal? Do they think that what we see as horrendous bullying is just what is and they so they don't complain about it? The research in teen dating violence says yes. When you have twelve year old girls who think it's appropriate or normal to be hit or to be shoved or to be put down and ridiculed, and that's part of the dating process, we have a problem. We had that problem 30 years ago and it hasn't changed. My background is domestic violence. So, yep. Mm. So are there signs a parent can look for? Is there social, emotional responses on the part of your child that you could keep? I mean, they're the sort of uh, equivalent to the scrapes that you might have seen years ago. Is there something to look for? I certainly think withdrawal, you want to look for things, you know, if, if, if a kid's afraid of going to school, if a kid's um, really socially isolating themselves, I mean, I think that's certainly something to be aware of, certainly signs of depression, signs of anxiety, um, you know, the signs of the, that fear of being with their, their peer group. Do you I, I, don't, I don't know if this, the younger kids, are, I think, will display more visible signs. A teenager can be, just want to be in a dark cave for whatever reason, that's just teenagers. Um, I really think the parents have to set time in the day to speak with their children, especially at the end of the day. Just have a conversation, anything. Just get them talking, get them used to talking to you. Um, and then you, you'll start to hear things more and more. Nice. Hmm. Do you recommend that parents oversee their children's social media accounts like you yes. did? Okay. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. just for any parents who might think that there's some sort of concern about, I guess, we're well, beyond I, that, right? I'm a father of three, um, 10 to 18. I have all their passwords. I know what they're on their phone. Um, I'll turn off the internet if I have to. Like, I want to know what they're doing. 
Yeah. I have four children myself, and the way I see it is if I wouldn't allow, allow a boy in my daughter's bedroom, why am I allowing the phone in my boyfriend, in, in her bedroom without some sort of supervision? Because, you know, today's day and age, it's almost the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can, and I can send the link. Um, the American Association of Suicidology just a couple of months ago developed new guidelines for parents for social media. They're a little firmer. They have more connections to it um, to take that responsibility. And it's hard because parents have pushed back a bit and said, well, I want them to feel independent and have decision making. And in this case, no, we really need to understand the impact that's happening to our kids. It's hard because it's a generation of parents who didn't go through the challenges and struggles they're going through right. with it. So it's very hard to navigate it. We're learning as we're trying to teach, and it's a tough place for everyone to be in. Yeah, I would imagine. I would just say, too, um, that I think parent, like Anne Marie had said, parents often struggle between wanting to respect their, especially teenagers' privacy and, and not wanting to overstep. But I think if we have these open conversations um, at a younger age and we continue to have these conversations, then I think that setting the, the expectation that um, I as your parent check your social media or we monitor it in some way, whether that's, you know, everybody turns in their phone at the end of the night and we have one charging dock that all of the phones charge to, or we have a common space where the computer is. Um, I think just the important piece of that is just continuing the conversations and making sure that young people know that the reason that we collect the phones or we're checking the social media is because it's our job to make sure that they're safe and that we know that there are a lot of young young people out there who aren't talking to their parents about this. And we know that this is happening happening at alarming rates. So we need to we need to to check the social media and we need to check in with each other and we need to check the phones and and all of that. So I think if we we do that from the very beginning, the expectation is that you know, this is just a part of what we do in our house, and the, uh, we turn our <coughs> phones in or, or whatever it is. We nice. call it hashtag normalize the conversation. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. That's very good. Yeah, I like that. We actually um, have a uh, question that popped up on one of the, the Facebook feeds, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim. Uh, this individual is curious about the difference between being bullied by one person versus by a group of children. Is it uncommon at this time to be bullied by just one individual? How does it grow to a larger group? I think that's part of the discussions I've had in the schools was um, you have the, the targeted individual, you have the person who's perpetrating it, and then you have the bystanders that feed into it. Yep. Um, so it is, you know, the entire area community involved in this. So we try to teach them to like mind your business. Like you want to say mind your business, <laughs> right. keep to yourself. Um, but it it is they were hitting it from all different areas. It, it is you know one of the programs I love came out of Northeastern Mentors and Violence Prevention, um, and high schoolers are taught how to talk about violence and alcohol use and drug use, and then they bring it into the middle school and they talk a lot about the empowered bystander. Um, because you're, there's almost no middle ground. You either have bystanders that just walk right in the middle and say that's unacceptable. They don't care how many people are there. But it's at, at an adolescent age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, even as teenagers, it's hard not to get sucked into groupthink. Mm. And, well, I don't want anybody not to like me, so I just won't say anything. But in within within the suicide prevention field, we, we're just hammering away you've got to speak up. Talk will save lives. You've got to report it. Um, There's a training that we can bring into high schools. It's called How Not to Keep a Cigarette. Um, And it's simply, it's not really about suicide as much as it is about anxiety and depression that might lead to that, but that can apply to any issue that we're talking about here. So this is where you're going to hear me say, what we need to do is have a public health approach. We need a complete wraparound. It's not, you know, I get so biting my tongue. It, it, I find it very disturbing when people come to me and say, Emory, what are the schools doing? And I so want to go, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What is your faith-based community doing? What's the business community doing? What's the town leadership doing? We have to do a wraparound 
what we have been doing for all these decades in suicide prevention isn't working. We are losing more and more people. And so we have to take a public health approach to this, blow up the silos, get everybody to one table, not worry about who gets credit, but make sure the work gets done and we save lives. And these kids need to see that again. I hate to use the term, but it takes a village. Well, thank you for raising that because it's definitely something we heard from our parents, right? There was, um, like again, it's not a statistical thing because we only had a handful, but uh, several of them were very frustrated at the school's response. And then others were making that same point. You cannot rely on all the schools to do this. As parents, there are certain steps we need to take. Can, um, Kelly, as a school person, can yeah. you talk a little bit about, I mean, there must be restrictions absolutely. for schools. So, I, I mean, my experiences are not absolute. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that there aren't um, times when the ball might be dropped or something might, you know, come up. I don't, I, I firmly believe that nobody wants a child to be bullied and nobody wants something to not be done about other things. Um, I understand sometimes people feel frustrated that there aren't consequences. Um, and there's, and there's a lot of strict rules and laws we have, we do have to follow. You know, for instance, we can't tell somebody what the consequences are for another child. You might never know what those are because legally it's not your business. You know, there, there's certain things we can and can't tell you. Um, so, so I think that's important to remember as well. Um, again, we have strict definitions for it. So there's, th there's guidelines we have to follow. And again, it's not necessarily about saying whether that was good or bad. It's just whether it was bullying or not. But I think, you know, Anne-Marie just brings up such a good point of what, why these trainings are needed. Uh, we I'll be honest, most of the bullying that's reported are by peers, and we need to see more of that because that is who kids want to talk to. They're not going necessarily, to necessarily tell their parents, um, but they are going to speak to one another. So I think that's a really powerful point um, that we want to get out there more is how are we training these kids more to step up and, and be a part of it. But sometimes schools get a pretty bad rap, and, um, <laughs> and yes, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger issue. Um, I'm really excited that um, uh, Fall Over Schools and, and um, hopefully Diamond as well, we're going to be adopting the Choose Love curriculum. And what's really interesting about that is uh, Scarlett Lewis, who's one of the parents of someone who lost someone in the Sandy Hook tragedy, um, began this. And, and for her, she takes on the perspective of the shooter and saying, and it's, it's a very brave viewpoint to say, what could we have different, done different for that person? What was missing in that person's life? So instead of, you know, yes, we have to worry about the, the targets for these things, but we have to worry about the aggressors. What are we doing to try to build those, those social skills, those mental health supports? What are we doing for them? So uh, really exciting stuff going on, and sometimes we don't hear enough about that. Sort of that wraparound approach that you were talking about, too, Anne-Marie, with everybody getting on board, and I'm sure... Law, law enforcement is part of that, and I'm sure so is uh, organizations like yours, Claire, and and, uh, and you're actually working directly with parents, aren't you? We are, yep. We do, um, we offer parent workshops to the schools that we work with, and um, meeting with parents and giving them an overview of what we're talking about during the week that we're with their children. Because, um, as Anne-Marie said, too, it's so important to create many different places for these conversations to take place. You know, the Katie Brown um, program is really successful. Um, we've, we have evidence to support the work that we're doing. We know that we're making a difference in changing behaviors and increasing young people's uh, knowledge around violence, but we have those conversations for one week at a time. And you know, often we can see, see change in that one week, but we're gonna really see the most change if we're if those conversations are continuing to happen in schools far after our program has left and if those conversations are happening at night at the dinner table with families as well so i think it's you know it's incredibly important to make sure that as a community we're coming together and creating multiple spaces for young people to talk about these issues and to get information and resources nice um can we uh, maybe go down the line here, too, for all of you? And I know that this might be a really hard question to answer, um, but specifically parents who are looking for tips on, I think something is happening, what do I do now? Um, do you have, I know that's a hard question, but do you have recommendations for them? And we can start, Anne-Marie, would sure. you mind? Um, in, in dovetailing um, on, on that, first and foremost, in this whole big picture, we tend to lose sight of the fact that the parents are frightened to death. 
and, and that fear-driven behavior can ricochet and impact the entire household and beyond that. So one of the things we've done in Bristol County is we actually have similar, we have a workshop for those parents. We do it once a month um, and, and it's called, Is This the Night? Finding Inner Peace because is this the night? This is coming from the suicide perspective of anything that can happen. Um, and they have not lost someone to suicide, but their kids have already ended up in some kind of treatment mode for either an attempt, non-suicidal self-injury, chronic suicidal thinking, anxiety, depression, and I can go down the list. But for parents to sit back and recognize that oxygen mask axiom, we never pay attention to what they're saying when we're on the plane. We're looking out for our luggage, we want to know what's going on, the weather. Meanwhile, there's a person up front saying, if the oxygen mask comes down, please put it on yourself first, mm. or you may not be able to help that child, I use the word child, beside you. And so our approach to it from a suicide prevention perspective is we need to help parents understand they have to take care of themselves emotionally, psychologically, and physically in order to be able to support their child. So there is help out. I wish I could tell you there was globs of it. There isn't. This one program we, we developed in Bristol County is now national, but it's one of three in the entire country. Um, not a good basis to go for. The other is, is again, that whole community. Bring the community together. We need to have more just simple, basic community conversations for parents to be able to say what's going on safely. Here's the problem we have. We have prejudice, discrimination, and judgment. You can use the word stigma, don't like it, but with prejudice, discrimination, and judgment, parents have told me over and over and over, well, if I say out loud that my kid needs this help or my kid had this problem, I'm a bad parent. And I said, well, who told you that? But that's ingrained in us. We judge people who aren't perfect. So yes, there, there are signs and symptoms to look for, but again, we have to be very careful about that because if you keep to this little checklist, oh, you've, and, I, and I had a superintendent tell me, we, I sat with him and he's, he's looking at it. He said, no, 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 no. And then I tossed out, I said, well, do they maybe just sign a withdrawal a little bit every once in a while? Well, yeah. I said, stop watching their favorite TV program? Uh, well, yeah. I said, you need to have a conversation. So we need to understand that there is no black and white, isn't this perfect little card you can walk around as a checklist. We have to pay attention to the behavior in general, but there are plenty of resources available. Um, are there a lot of professional resources? Unfortunately, no. You know, we don't have a whole lot. We, do, we have a, a huge gap in child psychology right now. I don't see that improving. So one of the things we're working on in suicide that I think can apply across the board, because it's used everywhere else, is just peer-to-peer. -peer. Educate and, and better inform a group of parents who can then help those parents, who will then help those parents. But that means helping them come out of the shadow of that, that irrational shame in fear of judgment to say, I don't like to use this particular term, but yeah, me too, my kid too. I've had parents who live two doors down, have a kid in crisis, and they don't know it. And I can't tell them that. Mm. As Michaela said, I can't say, why don't you walk two doors down and just sort of sit in the doorstep? I think you'll find a conversation there. So yes, there, there are resources. It's, it has been difficult to get parents to come out, to, I applaud that you get parents to come out. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> Our attendance isn't always the best, but no. we continue to work on it. And, <laughs> we'll and that's an important point. You know, I don't, I don't count numbers. <laughs> you know, we did an, an event at Diamond, and unfortunately, after all Michaela's work to get it set up, one mother came through the door. She was in crisis. I was happy to spend two hours sitting and helping her get the help she needed. Um, I don't worry about the numbers, but for everyone who does show up, they wanted to be there. It's not that other people don't want to be there. They were able to come out and say, I'll take the risk. Um, and, and so I, I worry about us looking at checking off numbers of, it, this has to be peer-to-peer, word-of-mouth, things like this. If this can exponentially go out throughout Gatehouse, mm -hmm. uh, you will have an impact that it, it will be insurmountable. It's awesome that you would possibly do this. Mm. Because they're where they need, the parents, don't want to come in front of that camera. Parents don't always want to come out to the public event. 
but to be able to sit at home and watch something that happened and be able to say almost in tears I'm not alone I'm not the only one that's what we can do for the families so they can better help their kids and not be so afraid do the schools are they able to help okay so I understand the restriction because you can't point out hey this person's out but are you able to help connect parents to each other to start conversations parent to parent is that just asking too much of the school system? No, and I mean, I think we, we have parent forums regularly at Durfee, I know Fall Republic, I mean at Diamond, and I know at Fall Republic schools, they're trying to do a lot of the same thing. And it is, it's difficult to get groups of parents out, um, you know, in terms of even PTOs and PTAs and stuff. We, we, we do get some great core groups, but it's not inclusive of, of the entire school population. Okay. So it's a challenge. Yeah, I would imagine it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did we have a question? No, we didn't. Oh, okay, great. Um, so maybe can we just keep going with the potential tips for parents and try to hit each of you with that one? Can we go next with you? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I would say don't sit on that information. If you, if you feel that your child might be getting bullying, get in contact with somebody in the school. Um, some schools have hundreds and hundreds of kids, so you don't want them to get slipped through the cracks. Um, most schools have a wraparound coordinator nowadays. Um, the principal, assistant, anybody. Just get a hold of somebody that can help you. I, I just wouldn't sit on it. Okay. Great. Thank you. I think um, communication on so many levels is important. Have those conversations with your kid on a regular basis. Find out how their day was. Find out how things are going. Um, build a relationship with someone in the school. Uh, sometimes we'll get you know, wind that something's been happening. It's like, this has been happening a lot. Well, we don't, we don't know what we don't know. You know, kids can be sneaky in what they're doing and we don't necessarily aren't aware of it. So again, as soon as you might be concerned about something, have that relationship with someone in the school that, you know, you could, you know, be regularly communicating with us about. Um, encourage your kids to go outside and play. And I say that because I think there's so many skills we, we built as children just going outside and playing. We navigated all kinds of social skills when it wasn't this structured, organized, telling you what to do kind of stuff. And I think um, some of those social skills are a little bit lost now, whether we're on our electronic devices too much, um, and that's adults and kids. <laughs> um, right. you know, you know, so I think you know, play. Play is very important. And I think the other thing is trying to take into account um, various perceptions. And I say this, and that comes with understanding your kid and what happened, but there are different cultural differences in homes. And, you know, what, what um, you know, my, I may expect my child to say to someone else is very different than what someone else's does. And having a little bit of an understanding of that, um, as well as, you know, what some kids, you know, disabilities might be. There might be, you know, kids out there who are, who are saying things in certain ways, and that's where the intentional part comes in. They're not intending to hurt someone's feeling. They might just have to be taught that's not what you should say to someone or how you should treat them. Um, so I think sometimes it just comes out, um, it's about understanding one another's experiences and backgrounds and why this might be happening instead of just you know dwelling on the hurt feelings that might be in there. Well, how can we get to the bottom of this? How can we, we make it better next time? Nice. Um, a, a couple of tips I would have would be to get to know your child's circle of friends or their, their peer group. Um, get to know the people who are in it, you know, hopefully get to know those those um, young people's parents as well. Uh, just so you know, you can be more aware of like when certain people now aren't included in certain groups or all of a sudden now your child's not talking about that friend who they were really close to originally. So I'd say that that, that would be one thing. Um, I think it's really important as well to create space, you know, whatever works for each family it will probably be different but you know uh, maybe like weekly um, a break from social media just you know a couple of hours um, where everybody in the family just puts that stuff aside I think what's really hard about cyberbullying when we look at that and we compare it to you know the traditional schoolyard bullying that's been happening for ages is that there is no break from it you know we are completely tied to our cell phones and tied to uh, social media and and um, all, all this new technology and we never take a break to just step back away from that and I think that is one of the healthiest things that people can do and that families can do for themselves is to just you know everybody in the house parents included put the cell phones in one room and we go outside and we go for a walk or we do some other type of family event. Um, and then the last piece um, I would say is to try and encourage 
and and teach young people to be helpers you know to to help instill this um, the value on giving back to the community and for speaking up for people who might not have a voice or, or a strong voice um, I think that you know when we get back to talking about like the bystander and that whole piece that plays into bullying I think that um, at the core of it, it's just really teaching young people to to be helpers and to that their voice is very powerful. Um, you know, even elementary school students, their voice can be incredibly powerful. And um, if uh, get a couple of them together, they they have a really strong voice and they have the ability and the power to to change their classroom or their school or their culture. So I think um, I think that that's a really important piece to that too. That. I think we get so over inundated with life sometimes and, and planning um, extracurricular activities or play gr groups and, and getting other things checked off of a list that we don't take that step back to just think about, you know, basic, like, basic stuff, like just being helpers and, and understanding people. I really like the helper point because I couldn't help but thinking when you guys were talking about parent to parent that parents aren't modeling that sometimes we need help too and we mm -hmm. go out and get help and that could, could be a very powerful way to model to your children that to speak yeah. up about it because watch me as your parent I'm speaking up and I'm getting help mm -hmm. uh, you know it just seems like sometimes we model as adults not just parents mm -hmm. that we have to have it all together and that mm -hmm. we have to have it all the answers ourselves and and um, maybe some of this is children learning from us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's yeah. great um, if I if I can just get back to and going to focus this toward Michaela here, um, there are some parents who will see that um, they may hear something about their child being bullied. They contact the school. They don't appear to get the response that they would like from the school. Uh, um, they may ask, you know, what is what is a punishment for for a student who is accused or being proved of. of of, of bullying another student. How difficult is that task for a school to issue punishment or some sort of um, you know, infraction against a student who is, is found to be bullied? I mean, the whole, the whole process can be really difficult, especially, again, because we can't necessarily communicate everything to both parties and what's going on. Um, it can be a very lengthy investigation, depending who's involved, the witnesses. Um, it, it can be, a, it's a lot of paperwork, I promise mm. you. Um, you know, what I would, advise parents to do is understand the, the, the district's policy in terms of what they have to do for the bullying investigation. Okay. Um, that is typically a document that's available online so they understand their rights in terms of And do how each community normally have a different policy? Or yeah, they are okay. different. Okay. They are d depending on the district. Okay. Um, I'm similar, very similar, I'm sure, yeah. but you know, it, you know, maybe a difference in terms of how many days it takes for an investigation to be complete, you know, and how long that, that they would be communicating to you. So I think it's important to understand, you know, the rights in terms of that. Um, but but it can be it can be really tricky sometimes in terms of a bullying and bullying investigation. Um, again, meeting those four points. Sometimes it's a little bit subjective. Um, you, you never you know. The, no matter what, I think you feel like parents and students might not be happy with the outcome of whatever comes out. So it, it's it's a hard place to be in. I don't think they recognize um, often that the place that that schools um, are in sometimes with with, with the investigations. Mm. So. In some ways, it's similar to maybe a, a legal investigation where there has to be a process and due process for those being accused as well as those yeah. who may have been a victim. I, I guess another point is, you know, sometimes we'll have, it, it's not about doubting whether a kid's telling the truth or not. A kid may come forward and say this, this terrible thing's been happening, but if no one else saw it and the other kid is saying an exact opposite story and it's he said, she said, it puts us in a very tough position. And I know parents are often unhappy with that because they believe their children. And it's not about us not believing their children. It's about we can't, you know, hash out discipline um, based on what one child said and not having proof or evidence that it happened. And that that can be frustrating for the schools as well. But, it, you know, it, it, it's, you know on the other side of things if, if you know my child was accused of something that they're saying they didn't do I wouldn't expect them to be punished for it so mm -hmm. it, it's, it's very tricky it's very mm -hmm. tricky I'd like to add a piece to that sure. that we haven't touched on and I'm sure that some parents might have a difficulty accepting and understanding but within the field of suicide prevention we have to give as much attention to the bully um, when we're talking about who's at risk here to lead this into a suicide situation, 
the bully is equally at risk, even more so sometimes than the child who's been bullied, because they themselves have been traumatized. People just don't get up in the morning and suddenly say, I'm going to be a bully. Something has happened. We also know from evidence and research that kids who are bullied can become bullies as they get older if it has not been addressed properly. So when I step into a situation or I have a parent come up to me, um, or, or, and that's, that was what makes it even more difficult for the schools because it sounds odd to the parent of the child who is the victim here that we have to be careful of how we handle the person who's being accused because we have no idea what's going on. Mm. But we do know there's been trauma there. And in both cases, that whole process is traumatizing. So we're constantly talking about adverse childhood experiences. Well, there's one of the best you can come across as far as how is that going to now perpetuate emotional and social psychological problems down the line. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, it's a conversation we need to continue to have. It's a process that we have great resources and abilities now, but we need to expand it because um, our data is very clear. Um, the bully has been traumatized. We call it ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experience. And if that individual does not also get sufficient help mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, that person becomes at super risk to either attempt suicide down the line or die by suicide. Um, and I know that's not a conversation most parents ever hear. All they're, they're, They have heard my child was bullied, mm -hmm. and rightfully so, outraged, upset, anger, and the family of the child who's been bullied has a double-edged sword on their hand. You know, how did that child get to that point? And it brings me right back to starting in pre-K with everything we can to be the power of example that this is how we deal with it. This is, if you have a conflict, no, hitting someone is not the option. Um, if you don't get your way, um, throwing a tantrum and hurting people or throwing things at people is not an option. But I say this with great care and caution, children mimic what they see. Mm. Um, and uh, a lot of blame can go on television and video games. Evidence isn't there to prove it. I, I wish I could sit here and say, oh, I can tag it. We have more evidence that says video games help kids socialize, even, especially kids who are isolated, because they are socializing. So it's the connectivity that we need. Um, but this is a mosaic that is not a, an easy black and white, if we do this, this will be, we'll take care of the whole thing. Because there's another faction to this that most people never see, except us. Hmm. I think it's a really great point, though, that uh, parents often worry about their children being bullied, and we're not worrying as much as we should about our child being the bully and what that means and looks like, and that says in the greater community as well. And in some ways, the parent's response to that, if they do suspect their child is a bully, is the same as if their child is being bullied, right? I mean, some of the things you've already said today would apply, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, Sam, can you talk a little bit about a school resource officer's role? I, I'm actually unfamiliar. Would they get involved with bullying, or are they there for other reasons? You know, it's, it's up to the individual SRO um, and the way the memo of understanding is with the school. Okay. My experience, though, the SRO is a valuable tool to an administrator. Uh, we're not bound to the rules that they're bound to. We can talk to both parents. Um, I was big into mediation. I had parents coming into my office all the time. Um, and one time where a parent thought that their child was being bullied, I found video showing the opposite. So the parent came in, you know, very upset. This is what's going on with my daughter. Um, and I had video proof to say, look, that's not necessarily the case. So I, I think a strong SRO that's really good with mediation skills could help diffuse a lot, not all, yeah. but could help diffuse a lot of the situations going on. Okay, nice, thank you. Um, I, is there something we haven't asked you here today that you think is important for our, our viewers to hear about? Uh, one thing that I have, because I know it's the question that always comes up, 
does bu- bullying cause a suicide? Mm. The answer is no. Okay. Um, I have that right in front of me. I posted it up on mm-hmm. on the site. Um, this is from the Center for Disease Control. And, and the simplest way to put it is that a suicide or suicidal behavior happens with a convergence of multiple issues. It's kind of like a perfect storm. You know, we're looking at our weather right now, you know, and the humidity comes in. But if we have extreme heat and the rain comes in, the lightning happens, the storm happens, and something horrific can happen, so now we have the flooding. But it takes that convergence of issues to create that storm. Someone who is being bullied will go through such a myriad of emotions and the anxiety and the depression that may come from that certainly will have an impact but there is no I, I have to say this for parents there's no academic science based research to say you can leap one to the other there's an impulsivity there for sure um, I also want to be clear that it does not also mean it, 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 it does not mean that that a child who's being bullied is mentally ill mm. Um, research came out from the CDC last summer 54% of the people who die by suicide do not have a diagnosed mental illness and it's not that it wasn't noticed it's not there so that that speaks to the situational circumstantial tragedy that we might not see as a tragedy but an adolescent who doesn't have the life experience it's so easy to say oh well it will get better try saying that to a 12 year old you know didn't get any better last week and they can't see 30 years down the line that yes it will so there's there's that momentary present moment where an action can be taken um, with an impulsive feeling Um, having a background in domestic violence I understand that I was top of my class a student heading to college and did not know that I had been tied up with a misogynist and an abuser I walked away from college, and within three years of that relationship, which lasted 15, I was convinced I was stupid, incompetent, incapable, and here's the kicker for the suicide, and the world would be better off without me. Now, you pound an adolescent or even a teenager with that kind of language, Mm -hmm. and you're having a profound impact on it, especially if it's being done in silence and no one knows that's happening. So um, I just wanted to dispel because there's such a, a knee-jerk reaction that, well, bullying causes that. It's a contributing factor, huge contributing factor, but there's no evidence to put that connection, and I'm going to add a word that most researchers are going to frown at yet. And I say that because as a police officer, you have to work on evidence. Prosecutors go in with evidence into a courtroom. I can only work on the evidence that I have but this has changed so much in the last five years, let alone the last 10, that on any given week, I'll come back and say, okay, everybody, we have new information. <laughs> Let's change this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, but I wanted to let parents know that it's not, a, it's not a black and white. It doesn't happen that way. Too much gray in, involved in there. Great, thank you. Anyone else wanna add, raise anything? I just think it's also important to celebrate the stuff we are doing in yes. the community. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes yes. we get hung up on what we haven't do, uh, done yet, and um, I'm definitely guilty of that sometimes. But um, you know, one thing I'd like to highlight is that you know we um, we did start a great task force recently. Um, unfortunately, we lost an 11-year-old in our community in Fall River um, in the winter, and um, there was speculation of bullying, which never was found to necessarily be valid. But what was great is it opened up this bigger conversation about bullying about which led to more about you know mental wellness suicide prevention social emotional learning what are we doing about it and it was um, you know the first time I know of that we had really a lot of people at the table in terms of um, not just the the fall of Republic schools in Diamond but the Catholic schools Atlantis Charter School a lot of community agencies to say okay what are we going to do about it as a larger community um, it's led to some great initiatives um, a big push in the schools to do some more social emotional work which has been awesome Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great uh, Fall River Youth Empowerment uh, Fest. On it was on International Anti-Bullying Day in May, um, which had you know we were kind of like let's see how this goes. 
and we had 750 plus people show up at the Boys and Girls Club um, where we had tons of great activities going on. We had Scarlett Lewis as a speaker from Choose Love. We had kids um, doing yoga and drumming. We had community agencies all set up with different social emotional learning activities for the kids. Uh, we had a peace pledge going on. It was, it was it was so much fun, but it spoke to, okay, we need more of this. And people are willing to, to learn and listen and come out as a family to do it. So um, I just like to bring up, you know, this is really good stuff happening. And I think that's also stuff that deserves notice. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. Sounds like it had a great impact. Yeah, Absolutely. it was really fun. And the good news is it's happening across the county. Mm. Pockets here, pockets there. Um, I went in and, and had a conversation with two eighth grade uh, civics classes. And they had these little books in front of them. I had, that wasn't what my civics book looked like. And their question was, how can we become more politically positive and active in our community for suicide prevention? <laughs> and I'm looking at their teachers and I went, how old are these kids? <laughs> but that's what they really, they had lost a student the year before. Um, and they wanted to know, well, because one of the biggest issues that I would tell you coming from our field is the lack of political will. And I thought, well, it's your generation to make that change. They had a whole ton of questions. The art, I so applaud everybody who's doing festivals, music, art, giving kids that outlet and not judging them for what they have done, allowing them that freedom to write, to sing. I posted a song up on the, um, from the stopbullying.org, um, Ask Grace, and, and I played it last night and I was in tears. And I put it up on the um, Facebook event page and I said to parents, show this to your kids because it talks about you're not invisible and you're not forgettable. Um, and so we have so much good stuff coming out that I think Michaela's right. Often we, we just focus on, mm, you know, but the reality is social, the SEL, the social emotional learning is there. I don't know of a school district in Bristol County who's not running as fast as they can to get that in because we know the sooner we start, the better our chances are of saving lives. It's not about prevention, it's about improving the quality of life. Mm. And I go back to what Michaela is saying. What put that kid into a bullying position in the first place? What did we miss further, much younger in that life that we could have maybe done some more with? So there is a will there. We just need to take that cloud off of it, that if I stand up and I go to one of these events, oh, is there something wrong with one of your kids? Well, there's nothing wrong with these kids. We need to ask them what's happening. And, and then be willing to, to, to listen and make change change doesn't come easy for us mm. adults mm. <laughs> you guys have been amazing yeah. today I, yeah I don't want to cut you off Claire if you yeah. wanted to add something Anything to else? that or no I was uh, Anne Marie talking just got me thinking about how when we talk with young people they're so excited to talk about this mm. because it is so real for them and yeah. it's happening so much that I think being able to talk with them about it and almost empowers them to be able to use their voice and to, you know, work on a change together. And I think if we're, if we're, these conversations should definitely continue to happen. They're important and necessary, but I think it's also really important to make sure that they include young people because yes. I think they're growing up in this world that we didn't grow up in. Mm -hmm. And I think that they could offer some real insight and tools for us in how we really can effectively um, prevent bullying from happening that's or, or lessen it. Idea. That's mm. great. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm so impressed. Uh, I cannot thank you all enough for having this conversation with us today. And um, not only will the people who are viewing it now see it, but we will keep this video out there. Mm -hmm. We always traditionally find more people see it afterwards right. than they do in the moment. Yeah. Um, so we will share it as much as we can. I know Keith is going to share it as right. much as he can. So uh, like you say, it's sort of a nice other piece to all the other things happening as well so thank you all um, I do want to give you just an opportunity and maybe you've really done it already so no pressure but if you have a closing statement if you have a website or uh, a particular program that you want to mention again feel free to just repeat it we'll try to get them in the comments for this um, Facebook live as well so people can have links but please uh, go ahead and share them too who wants to start also okay um, voiceatthetable.org is one of the best resources I can offer for parents when they're looking for their support. Okay. Um, I know this is all about, well, what are the tips of the parents? Well, 
personal well-being is probably the single most important mm -hmm. thing they, they can do for that. I, I think that would, that's probably a good place to go. But I have to agree with, I mean, I think we're all in harmony on this. We have to, we have to tear down the silos. We have to make it safe for people to come out and talk. And I agree with the kids being, finding a way to bring kids in to talk mm. because they don't hesitate to tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> nice, thank you. Anyone else? I would just say our website, Katie Brown's website, is uh, kbep.org. And on there you can find information about our school-based program, our professional development workshops, and our parent program as well. So if anybody is interested in pulling together a group of um, parents who might be interested in, in talking more about this, we'd be more than happy to do so. so. Great. Very good. Well, thank you all for joining us again, and thank you all for, for watching online and on our cable channels. This is a discussion that will be ongoing, and undoubtedly, we'll, Beth. Yes, and, and we'll come back to it. And we will be playing a part in that as well. So on behalf of Beth, Beth Perdue and the Standard Times, the Herald News, and the Taunton Gazette, and Fall River Community Media, I'm Keith Tebow. Have a great day, and thanks for watching.